Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for Sunday, June 22nd of 2014. I am Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And this week we actually have our first guest of our podcast, Todd Cordell of HockeyBuzz.com, one of my colleagues. He is going to be talking about the NHL draft coming up very shortly. Uh, you can find our work over at HockeyHertz.com. You can find myself at Gunnar Stahl on Twitter. You can find Cameron Walsh at Walshy66. And you can find Hockey Hertz at Hockey underscore Hertz. Um, so we're going to throw it over to our pre-recorded interview that we had with Todd Cordell. And, what do you mean uh, we had? You were the one that got to ask the questions. Oh, that is true. <laughs> but we're going to throw it over to that. And um, hope you enjoy because Todd, um, he he is OHL credentialed writer. He he sees these players. He's he's very good at what he does. So um, we're very happy to have him. So without further ado, our uh, interview with Todd. I'd like to welcome our first ever guest to the Hockey Hurts podcast, Todd Cordell. Um, Todd writes over at Hockey Buzz with me. He's a colleague of mine, and he covers pretty much everything under the sun for the New Jersey Devils and Columbus Blue Jackets. He's also a credentialed OHL writer for the Hockey Guys, and you can find that website at hockeyguys.net. And he's also an intern at hockeyprospect.com. His Twitter handle is at Todd Cordell, T-O-D-D-C-O-R-D-E-L-L. Todd, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Um, well, let's just start off with a general question. What kind of draft is this? Is it top-heavy? Is it deep? Is it rich in forward or defense prospects? Um, it's, it's not that great of a draft. I'd call it an average draft. Uh, a lot of people are knocking it because... It's sandwiched in between last year's great draft and next year's draft is supposed to be great, so it kind of looks worse sandwiched between the two. But uh, I'd say it's an average draft. Um, it is a little top-heavy after the first top six, seven or so. It uh, there's a bit of a jump, but um, as I said, I think it's I think it's still a pretty good draft. There's there's some good players, and uh, I look forward to seeing how everything shapes out. Yeah, so much much like a lot of the drafts you're going to hit some picks that people didn't quite view as somebody that would be a difference maker. And some, some picks aren't going to work out. So I guess in that regard, it's like every other draft for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are, you said it was top heavy. And one of those players that makes it top heavy is Aaron Eckblad. Um, he's one of the front runners to go number one overall to the Florida Panthers um, from everything that I've seen, and, and let me preface this, I, I don't watch a ton of junior hockey, but he, he appears to be a complete player with all the, the skills necessary to excel at the next level. But he's kind of a man amongst boys. He's 6'3", 215. Um, if he loses, when he does lose that size advantage, how much does that neutralize him? It, should it be a concern? Um, it, to me, it's not a big concern. Um he is a big guy, obviously, and a lot bigger than a lot of people his age. But 
he's not as physical as he could be. Like he's he's very strong, but he doesn't go around knocking guys all over the ice, and he's not going to do that at the NHL level either. Um, to me, more of an issue would be his outlet passing than anything else. Um, he's he's a good stationary pass if he's passer if he's you know standing still and has some time to move it up ice. But when he's trying to skate up ice from behind the net and he does a cross ice pass outlet. At times, he um, he overshoots his target or throws it in his feet kind of deal. And uh, to me, I think that'd be more of an issue than his size or physicality. Now, that sounds troubling to me because at the NHL level, the players are going to move faster. And even though he does have good size, I imagine sometimes his size shields him off to put him in that stationary spot to make the good pass. But he's uh, going to be ridden pretty hard, and he's not going to always have that time and space. Yeah, exactly. He's uh, The one thing he does have going for him is obviously he's strong on the puck, being a big, strong guy like he is. But he's also a very good skater for his size. So at times, rather than making a cross-ice outlet pass in, a, in an X, he just skates it out himself or can step around players that are oncoming. Now, I know these guys are their own player, and I, I don't like usually comparing them but is there anybody that kind of has that mold to them that we've seen in the nhl um frackblad uh yes uh, to me he has it's hard to, co- to compare players because in one aspect or two aspects they can be very similar and then somewhere else they're different and then it gets thrown in your face sometimes but to me he's kind of like alex petrangelo maybe not as good of a pass obviously but that he's big and not overly physical, but he can skate and he can produce some offense. Well, those are those would be some pretty good traits and why you'd be considered to go number one overall, especially with the premium on having that size. And it appears he does have the ability to make skilled plays. It just doesn't always click at times. Well, yeah. Now, forward-wise, um, a lot of the lead-up to this draft has been the... Um, Sam versus Sam. Now, what are you going to get with Sam Bennett, who who is in the OHL, and and I believe you've seen him play in person a few times, if I'm correct. Yeah, I've seen Bennett several times over the last few years. Um, to me, Bennett is definitely a better skater. He's more explosive, in my opinion. Um, he can come back and retrieve the puck in his own zone and just skate it the whole way up ice. Whereas uh, Reinhardt, he's kind of a guy who skates into the zone and kind of sets up and stationizes himself and uh, looks to use his vision and playmaking abilities to dish it off to someone else. Um, I think Bennett has a better shot. He's more of a goal scorer in that he can score from in tight because he has nice hands, but he can also you know, shoot it from the blue line coming down the wing and score as well. Bennett seems like a, a scrappy kind of quick skating, hardworking Zach Parise type. If, does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I used I used Taze as one of my comparisons. Oh. I've seen I've seen that mentioned by others as well, but that is good because he definitely um, he never takes a shift off. He always battles in the corner, and at six foot and less than two hundred pounds, he's not the biggest guy, but um, the effort's always there. So Reinhardt. Um, Sam Bennett, a lot of physical attributes that jump off the page. Reinhardt, more cerebral. Yeah, to me, Bennett's more of a physical guy who likes to 
kind of mixed it up. And uh, Reinhardt is more of a guy who just, as I said, he likes to set up shop and just dish it off to teammates because he sees the ice really well and he's a good passer. So I guess it all, you know, the teams that are sitting there have have to think really hard about the kind of player that would fit their roster best. Um, with the team sitting up at top there, specifically for someone like myself that is in Western New York, say Ekblad does go number one overall to uh, the Florida Panthers. Uh, Sabres got quite a decision to make here. Yeah. Um, it's basically picking their poison, but I guess it's a benefit. But um, they just have to decide which player fits their style best and which player they think is going to be the best player because, to me, that's what I always go by. Um, even if I think the style is not perfect or there's a need at a different position, I always go with the best players. So um, Sabres, I think, are, have the most scouts in the league. So they've seen both these guys countless times. So to me, just trust the scouts and go with whatever guy they think is the best player long term. Now, obviously, these aren't the only three players. There are, are other impact players at the draft. Is it, Are there any other forwards that could sneak ahead of either of the Sams? Um, I could see Michael Dow Cole. Um, there hasn't been a ton of talk about him, but he might be the best goal scorer in the draft. Um, his release is ridiculous. He can pick the corner from anywhere on the ice. His skating is very good. Um, he compares himself to Evgeny Malkin. That's uh-huh. who he models his game after. And, uh, he's kind of got that sneaky release where he can just rip it. And, uh, Obviously, everyone's always looking for offense these days, so it's kind of hard to pass up a guy who can score like Dow Cole can. Yeah, if I'm picking at the top of the draft, I'm thinking a lot about just raw skill, stuff that can't be taught, uh, the God-given talent that's there because there are only so many places you can find that, and those kind of players appeal to me, even if there's some risk involved. Yeah, exactly. Anytime you have a chance to get a game-breaker, you probably have to take it. Now, for the teams that aren't so fortunate to be drafting at the top of this, are are there anybody that's potentially in that 20 to 30 range that might slide down? Because as someone who covers the Penguins, the the Alimata thing, (laughs) that was was a pretty nice nice thing to happen. Is, Is there a guy that could potentially do that? Uh, personally, I love Nikolai Godobin off the Sonia Sting. Um, depending who you talk to, you see some people with him at 20. You see some people with him outside the first round. Um, to me, talent-wise, he's a top 10 pick. Um, I think if he was maybe an inch or two st- uh, taller and if he wasn't Russian, I think he'd be a top 10 pick. Um, his puck skills are ridiculous. His hands are exceptional. He can stick handle around anyone. His vision's off the charts. He, his passes are perfect. Um, he's great um, forehand or backhand for passing. Um, he's just a really smart player. And uh, I think his defensive game is a lot better than people give credit for. And as I said, if he wasn't Russian, I think he'd be top 10, top 15 pick. So is this KHL related, the threat of him perhaps not coming over? Well, I think a lot of people, uh, what they don't realize, they, they like to pin that on people just because they're Russian but what they don't realize is a lot of these guys, they came from Russia to come to the OHL so they could get to the NHL like they left their home for the purpose of coming to the NHL so it doesn't make sense to me to just assume they're going to leave like Nail Yakupov yeah exactly 
Well, that guy actually sounds like a pretty good uh, potential pick for the Penguins with uh, a, a star Russian center of Genny Malkin. I think he could pr- actually, I think it would be a nice thing for him to provide maybe that mentorship role, um, something for him to do in that regard. Yeah, exactly. I think he'd be a perfect fit for the Penguins because, as you know, obviously they don't have that high of a pick, but they have a chance to get a player talent-wise who should go a lot higher. Very good. Anything else, Todd? Uh, No, I think that's it. Todd, we very much appreciate you coming on to uh, give us your insight on the draft. Um, it's, It's not one of my strong points, so the fact that you could come on and give our listeners... That great insight. Thank you very much. Uh, my pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Todd. Okay, that that was our interview with Todd Cordell. Um, hope you enjoy that, Todd. Obviously, um, a great guest for us to have because we don't watch as much junior hockey as uh, perhaps some of you out there. Um, so having Todd on, thank you very much. Um, Cameron, you we're interested in kind of the differences from the physical standpoint of Aaron Eckblad and Sam Bennett. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where when Gunnar and I were preparing for, for this podcast, it's one of the things that, that Gunnar brought up in regards to, he's a bit like a man playing against boys. Eckblad's gap between his physical ceiling and what he's currently at is really small. Whereas Bennett at, you know, six foot, 200 pounds, he might not get any taller, but he could add, you know, 10 to 15 pounds onto that body. And the whole fear factor of Bennett being too small to be able to compete at the NHL level suddenly gone. You, you get to this level and you can't teach skill. But what you can do is improve work ethic and actually improve the physical aspects of that, of that skater. So to, to me, that's the, the scary thing about Ekblad. Um, and after what Todd said in regards to his... Um, his uh, zone exit passing and that sort of stuff. Um, I, I'd be I'd be worried about taking him at number one. It wouldn't surprise me if a lot of scouts think the same thing and he drops lower than expected. Yeah, and, and the funny thing with the, the draft stuff is, I mean these 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 poor guys get micromanaged. <laughs> you know oh, what yeah. I'm saying? It's it makes it really tough. Um, I I do share those concerns because uh, how much of his size gives him the benefit of the doubt in, in his dominance, you know, in the OHL right now. And when he gets up and plays against the big boys, how much of that does he lose? I have concerns there. To me, I shouldn't have any questions about the guy that I'm picking at number one overall. Personally, and I could be very wrong, and obviously I preface this by saying I don't watch a lot of these players. I could be wrong, but I probably wouldn't draft Ekblad number one overall. I would probably go for one of the forwards. Usually when you get these drafts, because there's no consensus number one, the the draft drops off pretty quick after about six from everything that I've read and I've heard. So this would be one of those drafts where people would, trade away the number one draft pick and, and go down the list and then if Ekblad does drop, they can end up picking him anyway. So I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens on draft day in regards to player movement if or if it's not player movement, it's at least rights getting moved so people can sign players and stuff like that. So 
it's that's the thing that I'm interested in in this draft is what happens with the positions and if anyone does move. And and the funny thing there is last year Seth Jones was talked about going number one overall over Nate McKinnon, and obviously in hindsight the the Avalanche absolutely made the right choice, but. I, I would consider Seth Jones to be a more dynamic player than Aaron Ekblad. And if I'm drafting at the top, I, I want a dynamic element to these players' games. I don't want to have a, a solid vanilla player. I, I, I want something special to be there, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, but do you also need someone that's marketable? Or are you looking at it purely from a on-the-ice situation? Well, it's... That's actually a very good question. I guess it depends on your franchise. If I'm talking just hockey and not about markets, I it's completely hockey all the way. I'm taking that on-ice product, what makes the most sense. Um, oh, totally agree. Um, but you start to get into um, some non-traditional hockey markets, like perhaps Florida, uh, who has the number one overall pick, or... Phoenix or any of these other places, uh, potentially maybe there's a pizzazz factor you got to consider. Um, but that kind of falls in line with how I think anyways, because I, I want that special dynamic game-breaking playability um, when I'm drafting at the top, because those players are the toughest to find. I can find a very good vanilla defenseman yeah, you there. need the game. Sure, breaker. you may have to pay a little bit for it, but they're out there, you know. Yep. I mean, Paul Martin didn't start playing for the Penguins. They picked him up. Free agency. He's not dynamic per se. He's excellent. He's he's he is their best defenseman. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally agree. So, it's it's certainly an interesting thing with the number one pick, and then you get into. If Florida wants to trade down from number one, that clearly shows that there's not really a number one overall pick, because let's be honest, next year ain't nobody trading down from number one. No. Actually, when teams start to bottom out around about Christmas, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see it'll be interesting to see who brings up all their kids to, you know, quote unquote give them some experience. Um, and just have the just have them bottom out. Um, but with the way the draft's done these days, being the worst team in the league doesn't far from guarantees you getting that number one pick. No, but next year's special because number two. I know. Could I? I would argue Eichel is would be the number one pick this year. What now? What position? I've never heard of this kid. I've only heard of. You know, Connor McDavid for all the obvious reasons, and I don't follow the the juniors at all. So, why? What's so good about Eichel that you've heard? Jack Eichel is um, just unfortunate for him in the sense that he's in the same draft year as Connor McDavid. Um, he's been terrific with the USA program. Um, I, I personally, I, the few junior stuff that I do watch is, is mostly the World Junior Tournament. Mm-hmm. Obviously, being American, I watch their games. Um, I think very highly of him. Um, he looks like a, a special kind of player. And he has that dynamic ability that I was talking about. So yep. I think next year, 
if you do tank and you are last overall, you may You're technically okay. lose the McDavid sweepstakes, but you are getting a mint player with uh, Jack Eichel. For the for the players that are getting drafted, does getting drafted like one, two, three, four change the amount you can get in your contract? Ah, good question. No, I because you'd expect that McDavid would get a maxed out entry level deal. Yeah, which is about three point seven five mil. At least that's, that's how when, when Crosby like that. was going. That's yeah. Well, that's what Fleury got as well, I think. Um, so. If you're the second pick, I just obviously I think that scales down the lower you get in the draft, but surely they'll do it in groups of five or something like that, wouldn't they? I wish I could <laughs> answer more. Strongly. We need someone who knows their cap information to let us know. <laughs> um, I can't imagine it's a huge drop off, so I don't. It's just think, you get there and you I say it's, it's an unfortunate for him, and for them it yeah, might okay. not matter. They yeah, might not I was going to say if and he was. It probably matters more what team they go to for the kind of success they're set for anyway. Yes, of course. Uh, so, no, the teams that tank next year, the bottom one, 30th out of 30, they're going to get an f- awesome player. They're guaranteed to get an awesome player. Obviously, I, I'm sure they would all want McDavid, but Eichel's they're good either way. Too. And this this year's draft, it doesn't seem to be that. There's just, um, and that's not to say these players aren't going to go on and be great. I just think there's mm. a lot of debate. There's not a clear cut thing. Um, obviously, with Todd, we were talking about Bennett and uh, Reinhardt, how they're two completely different players. It just depends on what you're looking for. Um, that's the thing with it's the thing that I've learned as I've paid more attention to the draft. There might be certain players that, like Todd said, he would pick the best player at that, at that draft position, go for the one that's the most talented, rather than pick for your specific need. Um, and, and I think this year might be one of those drafts where, because there isn't you know, consensus best players and stuff, people might pick to what their holes are in their team, well, what their holes will be in their team in five years' time, rather than pick the best player because some of these picks aren't going to be ready for the NHL for years and one question I would have liked to have asked Todd is is there anyone that he thinks will jump straight in I think the top end of this draft uh, qualifies though how far down do you go how far down the draft do you go top 5 top 6 top 10 I'm just going to generalize here probably top 5 yep that's usually the same every draft yeah and obviously, the twelfth pick or the twentieth pick or the thirty-fourth pick—they could all make the jump. Brandon Sad made the jump for Chicago. He was their fourth mm. pick of the draft, uh, in the, and that was in the second round. You—you you just don't know, because um, that's the thing I like about the draft is that you can get someone that's picked one hundred and fifty-six. And they can turn out to be a dynamic player for you. The draft's a crapshoot in a general sense. You get past the second round, and it really is to flip a coin, I think. It is. I've seen charts that have shown how many man games uh, the players play in the NHL from the top of the draft, even in the first round to like the 30th pick. And it's a steep, sharp thing down once you get past the top 10. Wow, I didn't think it would be that high up in the draft. It would drop off that quickly. Yes. That surprises me. Um, I thought the first round would be a little 
deeper through the list. It can be. You can get those players, but um, it, it you get misses though. You get a lot of misses, and that's the that's the tough thing about drafting. You and for general managers, you really rely on your your scouts to get it right. But these are kids that they're drafting, so you know well, wait, life gets in the way, and they don't pan out. Well, what you just said is is truth. Um, a lot of general managers catch the flack for the drafts, but in reality, the scouting department is who's feeding them all the information they need for these picks. Sure, the GM, it, it begins and ends with them with responsibility, but they're not the ones that compile the, the data and watching the tape. I'm, I'm not saying they don't do any of it, but the lion's share of it falls on the scouting department. Well, if the scouting department's constantly getting it wrong, you need to fire that scouting department and get a new bunch of scouts in. Yeah, That's naturally. One of the things that GMs need to do a little bit more often, I think, they are more than likely inherit the previous scouting group, and I think are reluctant to make changes at times. No, yeah, naturally, you you have to certainly uh, make changes if things aren't working, but. Um... It, it's just something that I think a lot of fans don't realize is the, the GMs probably don't have their hands involved as much as you might think with the drafts. No, but they'll take credit when they get one right. They have to, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it does keep the the minions below them hired. Long-term yes, job security. Right. Actually, speaking of job security, do you want to have a chat about the coaches? It's quite a segue. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, we do have some new new NHL coaches. Um, I like to see new blood. Um, I've said that before. I think there is, And you'll say it again? I, it, I think there are tons and tons and tons of bright hockey minds out there. Um, that are untapped and not all of them get the potential and opportunity to show what they got at the NHL level. But, um, we have a few Willie Desjardins of now, was he officially hired yet for the Canucks? I believe he's going to be hired by the Canucks. We're here uh, late Sunday evening in North America on the East coast. I don't believe he's been officially hired yet, but all signs point to. Um, yeah, I don't remember seeing it uh, written out anywhere, so I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. I'm gonna roll with it. Uh, he's he's going with Vancouver. Um, yeah, I can't see it changing. Peters hired in uh, Carolina. I'd forgotten they were looking for a coach, and then all of a sudden it's Carolina hires Peters. I've gone, oh yeah. Yeah. Well. Tough to, you know, we follow the Penguins and with all the Rutherford stuff, it feels like we're Carolina Northwest. So, yeah, it's tough to get them confused at this point in time. After Rutherford (laughs) comes over, Carmonis apparently is leading up our uh, Penguins analytics. So, but he hired in Carolina and then Gerard Gallant beat out. I would assume Dan Bilesma for the head coach job in 
in Florida. I wonder whether he's got a red cross on him at the moment in regards to the fact that there's the Penguins contract that he's still got. And he just might be a little bit tainted in regards to the way he's been perceived on his exit from Pittsburgh. I find it sort of hard to believe that that's the case, but I've, I'm struggling to see him not being able to finish the job in regards to collecting a job. But it's up to the clubs. Yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't really care about how he was let go from Pittsburgh because he doesn't have any real control over that. Yep. You interview him. You either like or don't like what he has to say, and you make your choice based off of that. And, you know, maybe Gallant comes in and he's fallen in line with more with what they want to see. Yep, totally agree. For Dan Bilesma, yeah, I'm sure he wants to coach again, but he's going to get $2 million, at least, from the Penguins, whether... Whether or not he gets hired as an NHL coach, sometimes you don't get paid from your previous job if you take a new one. He's going to get paid by the Penguins at least $2 million. And you know what? He's going to get paid the $2 mil and he's probably going to get a nice TV gig. Uh, that's what I was about to say. I think he should just roll into into TV and um, and, and take it that way. I mean, it's not, like, um, it's not like he can't handle the travel. You think about... <laughs> what he did with, with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, they'll have him all over the place, uh, NBC or is it Rogers that have got the coverage up in uh, up in Canada now? I can't remember Starting who has. So, year, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, it's not like he's going to be short of stuff to do in hockey. Yeah. And, you know, he'll, he'll have other opportunities. His shelf life was done in Pittsburgh. Still a good coach. Perhaps he learns from some How of his mistakes, and you know he'll do, he'll do well. I think just um, was so, one of those things where he's done in Pittsburgh. So you have a look. That's three new coaches that have come into the league this year. Um, rumor is that you know Pittsburgh are now looking for a retread coach, for want of a better term, seeing as they couldn't get any of the younger guys in. Um, Neither you or I are particularly big on, on the retread idea as a coach, but it definitely has success. You look at what um, Alain Vigneault did uh, in New York, and it can certainly work. But you have your theories around why that happened. Yeah, um, I'm not so sure Vigneault was the problem in Vancouver. I think that their problem has been not having much depth support in their organization, they've drafted really poorly. So a lot of their players, they're paying more than they should have to. And you run out of cap space to build a complete roster. Um, and that's where the crapshoot in the draft is really, really hard. If you draft away all your first and second and third round draft picks and have got less chance to get, you know, a high percentage of your draft picks right, then you end up with that massive hole in your in your farm system to give you cheap help for the cap. And and that's not to say that his message was lost on the players, much like Dan Bilesma's got in Pittsburgh. Sure. Um, I'm I'm certain that that you know that was probably a similar thing out there, but 
you know, you have a GM that almost welcomed a goaltending controversy <laughs> unnecessarily. And now they've got nothing. Now they have nothing to show for that. And and perhaps as it was shown this year with in and let's be honest, Vigneault did not start off well with the Rangers this year. They started off poorly because Henrik Lundqvist started off the year poorly. Um, but let's be honest, Henrik Lundqvist does not stay poor. He will turn no. it around. He did turn it around, and they were much better going forward. Um, so, as I think, uh, as Jeff Merrick says, show me a good goalie, and I'll show you a good coach. Oh, Dan Bilesma probably says the same. Correct. That's exactly right. <laughs> I mean, yes, the Penguins weren't always perfect, but he was railroaded by poor goaltending in the playoffs for about four of the last five years. But it well, would have been get, five out of every... it would have been five yeah. out of the last five years if he didn't put Fokun in. Yeah, but you get there and go, if they'd got average goaltending in some of those years, they'd have gone, particularly that year against Tampa, they'd have gone deep into a play, into the playoffs without a team because so many guys were injured. So, yeah, the the my favourite guy on the net probably burnt his coach in reality. Yes, he did. I can confidently say that. Yes, we know. Well, when you're in the 800s for save percentage, even in a small sample size, X's and O's are a moot point. Yeah. If you're giving up more than one goal every 10 shots, because you're going to give up 20 shots a game on a good night. That's two goals. You know, you're going to have to score three to win a playoff game. That's not always realistic. The numbers... No, the numbers pan out. It, it makes perfect sense. And, I mean, you, you're keen on the compliance buyout for Fleury, and you, you came up with a, a good replacement option. If Miller was happy to take the same amount as Fleury over three years, replace him with Miller. You know, you're going to get better You're going to get better output for five mil from, from Miller, or even at six mil from Miller. No, I'm not, um, I'm not going there. I know you don't want to go above five. Um, I, I don't but, even want to go five for Miller. I want to find a cheaper average option. I'm just saying, if you're going to pay five, pay it to him. Don't give it to Mark. Don't give it to the wilting flower. No, that's all I mean. Don't. Yeah. Five mil, that's money poorly spent. Uh, five mil for Miller. Probably we'll see a bigger return on that. I don't think you yeah, have do to do have, either. Do you have any thought process about where Miller's going to actually land? As opposed to where he could, what what do you think would be a really good fit for A, the team, B, Miller, and C, the contract? That's not an easy question. No, and that's why I asked you, because I've got no idea. Um, okay, I'll entertain this. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for indulging me. <laughs> um, outside of the box a little bit, um, San Jose... Uh, they're going to go with Niemi. Stalak. They've resigned him. I think they're looking to move Niemi. If they can get Miller four to five mil, 
I think they'd be open for a short-term contract. See, it all depends on Ryan Miller's term and what he's looking for. That will begin and end a lot of conversations. I think that's the problem. I think, and this has got nothing to do with how Miller went in the playoffs. I think Miller wants his final payday, and he may come to a shocking realization that there's not space out there in the types of teams that he's going to want to play for to get that big payday. Well, here's the funny thing about that. They're going to base that on a six-game sample size against the Chicago Blackhawks, who are one of the best teams in the NHL. They're going to look at that series and, and, and make huge judgments on what his actual value is when his entire career on um, with the Buffalo Sabres has, has been a really good career, especially yeah. his numbers last year. And the NHL's worst possession team, almost of all time since they've tracked the data, was really yeah. good, all things yeah. considered. And you you would think that general managers would be smarter and, and look at it that way, and that his agent would be pushing that information out there. That's you'd assume that would be the case. But it has affected his value, realistically, because I don't think many general managers kind of view it that way so i think he did lose a lot of leverage with with that uh blackhawks blue series um so basically so- basically the the general managers are putting the cart before the horse going well he gets in the playoffs and he fails how about you let him get you to the playoffs and then worry about it yeah i, I still view him in a highlight but i also would not give him long term because he is not he's not well, he is the early part of the mid-30s, so a six-year contract makes no sense. You don't want him around 39, 40, paying big dollars. That that doesn't make no, sense. No, that's right. Um, no. Even with the cap going up every, you know, two mil every year, still ends up making no, it very, very tough. No, because you can find a young guy that does well and has average results. Miller is above average results moving forward probably his elite Vesna kind of stuff is done but he's above average I would consider him above average goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury is average on a good year below average most so times. to me it feels like Miller's after not an above average but an elite contract he may Does look for an sense? elite contract I just don't think he'll get it well, if he does, the team will regret it. <laughs> but it San just seems Jose like he's got a small, yeah, yeah. San Jose makes sense to me. Um, so what do you do with Miami? I think they're looking to get rid of him already. Okay. I, As you said, they I, I believe they're actively looking to get rid of him. So that's a non-issue. Um, other teams. Uh, let's see. I don't know. I'm not so sure there's a ton of options out there that would be appealing to him. Uh, Minnesota could be a team looking for a goalie. Backstrom, certainly, they're looking to get rid of his salary. Josh Harding, who's played great, has MS. And unfortunately... What do you... Um, come down also to whether Miller wants to win... I think he does. 
I really he's going to have to take less. I do truly believe he does want to win, but he's not going to sacrifice like two and a half million per year to do it. No, I don't think he'll go that low, but he's going to have to sacrifice one, one and a half. Yeah. Because if you realistically want to win, you've got, you can't, everyone has to take a little less. To be honest, the Sharks and Penguins are his best two options. Yeah. But I don't think he'll take, I don't think he'll take a big enough drop off in his salary to go to either of those teams. Then he doesn't want to win. There you go. So that's, I think for me, that's going to be the flip of the coin in regards to what he does decision-wise. I mean, I've seen him up close. I saw him start his professional career here in Rochester. I've been a fan of his since seeing him. Um, And I've watched the whole Buffalo Sabres career play out. I I have a high opinion of him. Um, You know, obviously, I've been completely on record with the Penguins moving on from Marc-Andre Fleury. They need to move on from Marc-Andre Fleury. His $5 million cap hit is dead weight. They get below average NHL goaltending for a guy who flashes excellent physical skill that is not tangible for actual results. Correct. Who's the, who's the bigger dead weight, him or Scuderi? Rob Scuderi. He has a well negative impact. Average. There you go. He he is well below average compared to basically if you take your your average AHL replacement player for Rob Scuderi, that player is going to be a lot better. For Mark Andre Fleury, it's also going to be better for the yep. most part. Mark Andre Fleury is league average. Rob Scuderi is not league average. So if you look at it that way, but Mark Andre Fleury's compliance buyout, um, he he's eligible for that. Yeah. Which so the is other a whole thing with that thing. though is that even though you get stuck with the Scuderi well below league average thing, you can at least get five million back in the cap if you get rid of Fleury. And if you want to spend five mil on Miller, there's a marginal gain there, in my opinion. So if you're going to spend that money, you might as well find a gain on it, correct? Oh, I agree. Totally agree. Um, Otherwise, you go the other option that you've been preaching, which is you pay less for the exact same output so you can improve the team in other areas. Absolutely correct, and I think that's a very doable option. But I'm not so confident that the Penguins are going to share the same perception that I do on their goaltending position. No, I don't think so either. And, you know, Fleury's going to have his great games and he's going to do some great things because that's what goalies do. Yep. They, they have great games. Brian Boucher is the all-time leader in shutout minutes, consecutive shutout minutes. Who is Brian Boucher? <laughs> well, that's a very good example. Yes, he strung together some awesome games. That's great. Any goalie can do that. But I just want vanilla, plain Jane. This is my preference on goaltending. 
as cheap as I can get it, can I just get league average goaltending? And can I use those savings to put an awesome team in front of that average goalie? Well, Detroit did it for years with Osgood. Absolutely correct. So definitely can be done. It just comes down to the decision of the management. And and, and they benched Hashik in their Stanley Cup 2008 season in the playoffs to go to Osgood because he was providing that average goaltending. Yep. They benched the big money guy to just say, hey, listen, we just want the bare minimum here. Let our awesome team win this cup and not screw it up. And that's exactly what they did. That's all I needed. That's all I want. Although if you do pay a premium like a Henrik Lundqvist, I can understand that because he is the best. And, and he, he showed what he can do. What needed, though. Yeah. But the Rangers are in a unique spot to where they had a deep roster with four lines and, and good defense pairings. But they're, they're kind of going to come a, up against it this upcoming year. Um, they're going to have to make that's some that's choices. That's what happens to almost every team. LA seems to have managed to avoid it in regards to how their salary structure is, but that's not a common thing. But the Rangers, to their credit, aren't going to have Brad Richards on the book anymore, so um, well, the compliance the buyout, buyout yeah. certainly has helped them tremendously uh, with their ability to keep some, some players around because I hear... They're going to keep Strawman around for about $4 million per year, and, and quite frankly, I, I, I think that's a good idea because yeah, from the numbers totally. I've looked at, some people say that Mark Stahl made Strawman. The numbers say the absolute opposite. Otherwise? Yes. That Strawman <laughs> is actually the one that is propping up Mark Stahl. So uh, that would be a very good signing for them, and the money that they would have for that would be coming at least – some of it from the Brad Richards buyout. So, well, that's all right then. Yeah, not too terrible. No, but that's having the balls to actually do the compliance buyout. Yeah, I think it, that's the big thing for me. I, I guess another team that there's a lot of talk about Mike Richards in a compliance buyout, but Dean Lombardi has uh, come out against it. So he's already kind of nixed that idea, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah. It's a little surprising. Um, he's going to make 5.75 million for a really long time. And maybe they feel the cap going up enough for them to, to cover that, even though they know they're going to get declining output. It, yeah. Certainly, I mean, he's, I've always thought highly of him as a player. Even yeah, you thought more of him than Carter from their time in Philly. You were and much it turns higher. out I was wrong on that. Carter's been tremendous. He's been the better player. Uh, but Mike Richards at his best in Philly, he was really good. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. But I was, you know. I can admit my mistakes. I, I was always a detractor of Jeff Carter, but he's he shoved it in my face uh, every which way. And it's I'm not going to sit here and you know pretend that he hasn't done that. He's been terrific. Um, he's kind of... You know what L.A. does a great job with? Ignoring 
cheesy ass narratives about players and just acquiring highly talented players and winning Stanley Cups because the Jeff Carter, Mike Richards thing in Philly, party boys, yada, 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 bad influence, blah, blah, blah. All right, come out to L.A., win a cup, sure. Marion Gabrick, injury prone, streaky, blah, blah, blah. I'll just lead the, the NHL playoffs in goals and win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, they definitely did it the right way. And and the team that decides to ignore silly narratives and sign Alesh Hemsky is probably going to enjoy that signing too. Um, Taves and, and Kane are next year for their, so the next off season for their new contract signings, aren't they? Correct. Yep. All right. That's going to be interesting to see how Chicago get to handle that. I think there's a 50% chance that their contracts start with 10. Yeah, they do that. And I know the cap keeps going up, but that makes things tough. But you can't blame them for asking that. Um, that's, guess what? You're the best in the league. You pay. The Penguins found yep. it out the hard way. And yep. the Blackhawks are already the beneficiaries of some of those circumvention contracts with Hosa and Keith. So I don't think anybody can shed a tear if they have to pony up for tapes. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Like they, yeah. I don't blame them for doing that. That was within the rules. This That is not my argument. They, more power to them. But that is gone, and they have two of the finest players in the NHL in the primes of their career that are going to want to be compensated. Perhaps they do take a quote-unquote hometown discount. Does anybody really believe that's going to be below $8 million? I wonder whether they get there and um, give themselves 8.7. Okay, so... Do they become the Penguins? Well, that there's two 8.7s there, isn't there? 8.7. Next year, Malkin 9.5 because they couldn't hide his um, new contract because of the eight-year max. Crosby's is uh, technically one of those circumventions as well because he's being paid $12 million this year and next year, I believe. Yeah. And it's longer, a 13-year contract. So, but, you know, sit at 8.7, that's going to be a steal for years to come and as the cap goes up. The, it's one of those things where you get there with... It's the thing that sort of baffles me sometimes with these contracts. If these players want to win, they obviously have to take less than what they're worth because of the salary cap. Is, is the difference between... 8.7 and 10 substantially large enough to really get those players to think twice about taking it. Yes, if you get there over eight years and it's you know almost 10 million they're putting they're giving away basically, but it still gives them a chance to win. And, and eight years at, at basically nine, um, that's still 72 million by the end of the contract. Yeah, and and if I'm being completely honest. I've never had an opportunity to make money playing hockey, but this 
want to win thing seems so fan driven you're talking about legit money for players to turn down and not small fractions of money all no, of no, them that's what I think. all you of them want, it out, it's a lot all of them want to win <laughs> it's just it's real money is all i'm saying and I don't oh, yeah, usually no, frown totally upon agree. players trying to get what they can get on the free market. No, it's the, I don't either. But you, you, you've got to try and look at it in regards to if there was no salary cap, it wouldn't matter. You just pay them what they're worth, and and then the, the owner has to decide whether he wants to keep forking out the money or not. But well, then you got five teams that are more. worth a damn. Correct, and I, I, I like the salary cap, but it does put the onus on the players to understand how the salary cap works and if they want to go and keep a team together they have to technically take less to be able to keep a competitive team together and everything you said about the players deserving to to make what they're worth totally agree but the salary cap makes the players have to think things a little bit differently that's all makes the teams have to think a little differently yep somebody's always willing to pay them Yep, and if that's the thing, if somebody doesn't want to take less, then they have to move to another market that will pay them what they're worth. And sometimes and they where do, I th- sometimes they don't. Yep, and that's where the where I think you're right in regards to the the fan process of oh well you didn't want to win here because you wouldn't take less, so you chased the money. Yeah, sorry, I, sorry, I wanted five million more dollars. <laughs> yeah, no, it's exactly. a real and thing. It's a real yeah, investment. You, you just, you use that max contract and, and everything that Kane and Taves take less of, you've got to multiply it by eight. So it does end up being a large chunk of change. I mean, if they take, you know, a million less than what you'd consider market value, that's eight million they've just technically thrown away for the, for the sake of wanting to stay together on the same team. Also depends on where you live or where your uh, team is. If you're in Florida, there's no state income tax. So- yeah, that does make difference so maybe you could take a little less to play in florida because it's not going to be taken out as opposed to california new york they tax a lot more heavy than texas and florida you know those professional sports teams have a slight advantage in the fact that they're not getting skimmed off the top as much if they go play in those markets so Yep, that's, that's a really good point. There's a, a football team in um, Sydney who actually gets a larger cap hit to deal with the extra cost of living in that city. Wow, that's interesting. So, yeah. I don't so, see that coming over our way. No, neither do I. And I don't like the fact that it doesn't because that team is much better than everyone else at the moment because they can fit players under the salary cap because of the that particular extra increase in... And I figure the endorsements are easier in those big cities too to, to get that um, correct extra income, so to speak. Yep, you can you can you can skid around the salary cap in this country by doing a lot of outside the game endorsements, um, and because the league can't mandate it into the salary cap, then there's easy ways to skip around it and stuff. Yeah, that. That's certainly a unique thing you have in your neck of the woods. 
Yeah, they haven't done it very well. They tried to make it so that there was a level playing field, like what the salary cap does in the NHL, but there are too many loopholes, and the AFL Players Association have done a very good job of making sure those loopholes stay. <laughs> well, is there anything else? Um, no, I think we covered everything off. If we went any further, it'd end up Penguins-related, and there's no need to do that to everyone. All right. Sounds good. Um, that'll do it for this week. Uh, you can find me, Ryan Wilson, on Twitter at Gunner Stahl. You can find Cameron Walsh at Walshy66. You can find Hockey Hurts at Hockey underscore Hurts, HockeyHurts.com. Um, my Penguins writing at HockeyBuzz.com. Some of my statistical analysis at HockeyProspectus.com and um, thecoachcw.com for some online training, physical fitness online training <laughs> with uh, Cameron. Um, I think that's it, guys. Cool. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>